Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. Happy Easter. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the elders here at Resurrection Church. We're so excited that you've chosen to join with us today. If you would, grab your Bibles as we continue in worshiping in the Word. We'll be in John 20 today. We're going to start in verse 18 and read through the end of the chapter. I wanted to read the first part, but Bradley wouldn't let me because he knew if I did, I wouldn't stop. So I just tell him to sit down and I got it. But he said I had to start in verse 18. Chapter 20, verse 18. Mary Magdalene went out and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so that the other, other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands, and put your own hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. You may be seated. He is risen. Amen. You know, um, this morning on Resurrection Sunday, my alarm went off. I got up. Um, I got dressed. I came to my office before the sun came up. I had my coffee, my breakfast, and began to look over my notes for today's teaching. Had some more coffee, ate a little bit more. I brushed my teeth, which I always do before I come in here, after having lots of coffee. Came in here, we had a pre-service huddle at 8.30, we prayed. 
we had Ethan, crazy Ethan, come up here and do announcements. Um, Stephen does a call to worship. We sang a few songs. An elder comes up, reads the text. We say this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And now here we are. You know what? We do this every week. Every Sunday, that's my routine. And it's so easy, isn't it, to just sort of wake up and go about the rhythm of Sunday or Monday, Thursday, and forget something amazing has happened. I just, I stared out my window this morning just thinking to myself for a few minutes, Lord, this feels like every other Sunday. This feels like a normal routine for me, and I'm struggling to feel something amazing has happened. It's kind of like September the 11th, 21 years ago, almost. I woke up and I went about my routine and I did my thing and I, I went to work where I was working at the time and was completely oblivious until at some point I was made aware something extraordinary has happened. And you remember that. Those of you that are old enough, you remember that day and you remember what it felt like to be just shaken or, or like a splash of cold water thrown into your face where you all of a sudden you woke up out of your mindless rhythm and you realized something has happened. And I don't know about you, I'm, I'm sure that this was true for you, it was true for me. It changed my day. The rest of that day and really the rest of that week and the rest of the next several months were not the same. That went on for quite a while until here we are some 21 years later and 9-11 will roll around again and we'll go, oh yeah, we'll move on. This happened 2,000 years ago and we've been singing about it. And as Jonathan said, had this not happened, Jesus would have been lumped in with just the long line of other prophets and yes, significant people we wouldn't be singing all hail King Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, that there was a tomb with a dead body in it. You realize we're here today because in the wake of this significant event, that first Easter morning, the apostles in the early church, they went around not declaring some set of teachings or philosophies or rules or, or ideas, they went around declaring the good news, a dead man is alive. And that man is King Jesus, who is Lord, heaven and earth. Here, here, here are three questions I want us to consider, regardless of where you are. You might I know it's Easter, and so I realize there might be people here this morning that you came because your mom begged you or your, your girlfriend or your wife or your husband begged you to come. Uh, you, you're here because it's Easter and you, you, you better at least go to church on Easter. Uh, that, that may be where you are. You may be somewhere in between a fully devoted follower and a skeptic. I don't know. But all of us should consider these three questions this morning. Do you see? Do you hear? 
and do you believe? And those questions should cause you to pause for a very obvious reason. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to see that. Here's the obvious reason. You weren't there. You weren't there. This happened 2,000 years ago. You, you didn't touch him. You didn't, see, you didn't even see the stone rolled away. You didn't see the empty tomb. You didn't hear the words of the risen Lord if that actually happened. If, if he actually rose and he actually appeared, you didn't see, you didn't hear. So do you believe? We should pause. We should think. Are we crazy? Are we out of our minds? Are we brainwashed? Are we just, are we scared? I had a, I had a conversation this morning with a dearly loved brother in this church about a loved one of his who might be pretty close to death. And we talked about the fact that all of us fear death on some level, right? And is that what this is about? Is, is, this, is this just salve for us? Is this just a way for us to sort of appease that fear that we all have about what's on the other side of this? Because you know, and I know, even if you're not a church or Bible person, we have this sense that there's more going on than what we can see, what we can touch, what we can taste and smell and feel. So do you see, do you hear, and do you believe? Now, if we're going to consider those questions, we've got to understand that conventional thinking, which has layers to it, is not going to help us. Modern thinking said it's black and white. If I can see it, touch it, taste it, hear it, smell it, then it's real, it's true, and I'll admit it into my life. If it fits within the laws of science and physics, if it can be empirically proven, then it's true, it matters, and I'll admit it into my life. That's modern thinking. That won't help us, will it? That, that's obvious. Postmodern thinking says this. It's not black and white, it's gray. It might be true. If you say it, it might be true. Even if it defies my finite conception of the laws of nature, it still might be true. I can, I can make room for those gray areas. The real question is, does it matter to me? Do I feel like it matters to me? This is where we get the whole modern, postmodern notion of live your truth. If it feels right, then go with that. That's where you want to stay. I mean, more power to you. I don't know about you, but I don't like something as serious as the possibility that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead being left up to my wishy-washy emotions. I'm not content with that. You might be, I'm not. So there's got to be a third option, doesn't there? To see, to hear, and believe. There must be a third option, otherwise we wouldn't be here. What is that third option? I'll, I'll get to that. But let's consider the first question. Do you see? 
Do you see? Go back to verse 3 of chapter 20. John, the gospel writer, is a brilliant writer under inspiration of the Spirit, mind you. And he does something interesting here. He uses three different Greek words that all mean see. Three different words. Let's, let's, let's consider that. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running, but Peter's a little overweight. John's apparently in shape, and he outruns Peter to the tomb. <clears throat> Verse 5, and stooping to look in, he, talking about John, Saul. Everybody say Saul. That word means to look with your eyes. You're like, Bradley, okay, thanks for that. No, it's, it's literally what it means. To see with natural eyes. He looked in and saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Peter, verse 6, came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. It's a different Greek word that means to look with intent. It means to consider the details. Here's the difference between what John did and what Peter did. It's like if I came to you and I said, did you see the crowd outside? And you might say, well, no, I didn't. And you go out there and you just look out the door and you see that there's a crowd. You come back in, yeah, I saw the crowd. Verse, that's what John did. He just looked in and he saw the tomb's empty. There's claws there. What's going on? And, and that's it. That's as far as it goes. But Peter goes in and he starts to consider the details. It's like if I were to say to you, instead of, did you see the crowd outside? I said, did you see Dave in the crowd with a red shirt on holding up a sign? At that point, you might start to ask some questions. What's this crowd about? Why is Dave there? What's with the red shirt? And what did his sign say? What's the point? This is what Peter's doing is he's looking at this and he's, he's wondering. John just sort of looks and turns around. Peter goes in and he starts to intently examine. It's like if you sing these songs. You can look at the lyrics on the screen and go, okay, King Jesus, stone rolled away. He started to breathe. Now... We have hope, and, and you just sort of fly through those words, and you never really consider what they mean. Versus even if you would say, I'm not sure I believe, you look at those words and you go, what is this? What is this gathering of, I don't know, 250 people in this room singing about a risen Savior, a risen King who's Lord of all, and I've heard these stories. And you know what? Kind of similar to John's first glance, you could get on a plane this morning, and you could fly to Jerusalem, and you could go to the place that's widely understood to be the tomb where they laid Jesus, and you know what you'll find if you go there? It's empty. Now, you could give me all kinds of speculations as to why that's the case, but regardless, the fact is it's empty. And you could go there and you could see that. Or, like Peter, you could consider, what's going on here? 
Is it possible to see without seeing? It is, isn't it? You know that. You do it all the time. People tell you about things that you haven't seen, and the first step from going beyond what you haven't seen with your natural eye is to consider in detail what is it that might be going on here. When someone first said to me, I got a phone call from a friend who worked at the same place I did, and he said, Bradley, our country is under attack. And I thought he was joking. And as he talked, as he began to explain to me, before I got in front of a TV and saw towers collapsing, what happened was, in a sense, I said, oh, I see what you're saying, even though I hadn't seen yet. This is what Peter's doing. Could Peter be thinking about Lazarus? Remember last week when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb? Peter is looking at a folded up face cloth, and he might, I can't prove this, but he might be thinking about Lazarus. Look at this on the screen, John 11, verse 44. The man who had died came out, that's Lazarus, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus had to be helped out of his grave clothes. I wonder if Peter's not looking in there intently going, did he rise? Did he rise on his own? Did he get himself up? And did he fold? This is not the work of thieves, you realize. Thieves don't take the time to fold up a linen cloth. Did he rise? Did he raise himself? Did, has he come out of death different than Lazarus did? Lazarus was resuscitated, and he died again. And he had to be helped out of his grave clothes. Something Different is going on here, and I think Peter is starting to consider that. So two Greek words for seeing. Now we get a third, verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This word means John connected the dot. This is not the work of thieves. He is risen. They don't fully understand what that means yet, but John at least, and perhaps Peter, because I think Peter, when he's looking intently in the tomb, probably hollers to John who stayed outside, John, come in here, look at this. He's not here and the cloth is folded and John goes, I see. He sees the claws. He hasn't seen the Lord yet, but I see. And he believed, even if he didn't understand fully what all this meant, I think where John is, and maybe Peter is, he is risen. He's not dead. They see. Do you see? Next question. Do you hear? Verse 19. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, so this is the first resurrection morning, Sunday evening now, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace 
be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw, same word, to put it all together. They're seeing him. They're believing he is risen. They saw the Lord. They're afraid, and understandably so, right? The Jews, they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid of what might happen to them. Jesus has been killed as a threat to Caesar and the religious establishment in Israel. We get their fear. We understand their fear. But do you see Jesus stepping right into the middle of their fear? The doors are locked, and he just is there. And he's not a ghost because he says, see my hands and my side? Another gospel says he ate with them. He's not a ghost. He's real. He has a physical body like ours, but not quite like ours. Because obviously, I had someone say this to me not that long ago. I've always thought that Jesus could just sort of, I knew that he has a physical body. It's a renewed body because the scars are, are still there, and he eats fish. So I know he's physical, but I always thought maybe he just can become translucent when he wants to and walk through walls that are real. But I had someone pose the question to me, what's more real in this moment, Jesus or those doors? What's, what's more real? See, this is where I, I think... We all, regardless of where we are in believing and seeing and hearing, would admit there are question marks that we have about what's really going on and what's really true. And Jesus, I don't think he's just showing off. He steps right into the middle of the room, in the middle of their fear. And what does he say? What do they hear? Peace. Isn't that amazing? It, you know, it, you would think that Jesus would sort of just appear in the room and go, ta-da! But he shows up and he says, peace. And then he says it again, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Actually, he says three things. Pay attention. Peace be with you, number one. Here's number two. As the Father has sent me, even so, I'm sending you. That's number two. Here's number three. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Anybody ever stumble over that verse? It makes sense, though, if you think about it. He says, first of all, here's peace, the gift of peace. Why? Because what he's accomplished on the cross has ended the hostility between God and those who believe. The war's over. And in case you didn't know, prior to salvation, we're at war with God. We're resisting God. We're defying our creator. We want life on our terms. We want to live our truth. We want to do our thing. We want to do it our way. We want things on our terms. And that's just not the way this is designed to work. God designed the universe to put his glory on display, and he put us in the universe to magnify his glory by enjoying him. So 
Christ ends the hostility between God and man. The apostle Paul wrote about it, Ephesians 2, verse 14. This will be on the screen. For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace. Can we say peace together? Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That is such good news. Peace with God. God's our biggest problem. Apart from peace, is it not? If God is righteous and holy, and cannot tolerate unrighteousness, our biggest problem is not our physical ailments and our refrigerator debt. Our biggest problem is him. But Christ comes into the middle of our fear and says, peace. Do you hear that? And he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Now this is where this verse can kind of trip us up, but he says, I'm sending you just like the Father sent me. In other words, those who have his peace now go as his ambassadors. We go and proclaim his word. We proclaim the gospel. When we scatter here today in the light of this incredible thing that's happened, the resurrection of Christ, we scatter with the commission to make it known he is risen indeed. And as we proclaim that, it is literally, literally Christ himself proclaiming and pleading through us. Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are, Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. When we proclaim, it is Christ proclaiming. That's what he's saying. You're going to go, and it's not just going to be your words, it's going to be my word. So, and that it, it, that's so real, that's so powerful, those who hear will be forgiven. Those who don't won't be forgiven. And the startling reality is for some of you this morning, maybe those watching online, how you respond to this message from this finite fallen vessel will determine whether or not you are forgiven today. That's the reality. It's not my forgiveness to offer, but it is Christ proclaiming through me, he is risen indeed. So they hear peace, they hear purpose, go, and then they also hear power. He breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be able to do this apart from the power of the person of God, the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. It's an acted out parable. They're not going to receive the Spirit fully until seven weeks later in Acts 2 at Pentecost. He doesn't say receive the Spirit in this moment, but receive the Spirit. This is the way it's going to come. And if you remember in Acts 2, what is the first phenomena they experienced? They heard a sound like wind. 
And what do you think they concluded when they heard that sound and they saw tongues of fire? They began to speak in languages they didn't know. Let's go. Can you feel their excitement this morning? Oh, how sad it is that we wane in that. I know it's been 2,000 years, but these believers that saw and they heard and they believed and they received power that we have too, to go and proclaim in his name. Do you see? Do you hear? And finally, do you believe? Let me save you the suspense. Modern or postmodern thinking is not going to help you if you're on the fence. Even if you're not on the fence, but you've had moments where you question, or you're uncertain, or you doubt, it's not logic that's going to get you there. So Bradley, are, are, are we all just brainwashed people? Do we... Are you just trying to brainwash us into to believing this unbelievable account that's, that's, that's given by people who claim to be eyewitness? And the eyewitness before us this morning is John, the gospel writer, who says, these things are written that you might believe. That's what this whole Easter season has been about. It's been about... God nurturing the believing of believing people, calling unbelieving people to believe and that we might have joy in our believing. I think we'll identify with this guy, Thomas. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So he wasn't in the room a few verses earlier. But the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. (laughs) I'll, I'll leave that alone. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas doesn't want much, does he? I mean, he just gets so specific. I got to see it and I got to put my finger. Maybe it feels that way to you. Oh, if I could, you know, people have so many questions. I, I, I feel like I run into them all the time. People who they've heard the good news. But yet they wonder, why do these things happen in the world? Why does God allow this? Why does God cause that? Why why is my life this way if God is good? And we want to put God on trial. And at a human level, if that's you, let me say to you, I get that. But maybe you could come this far. If Jesus rose, that changes everything. If you, you might even say, well, okay, granted, if he got up, if he rose from the dead, if he's that powerful, nobody called him out, he got up himself. He folded that cloth. I really believe that. If he did that, 
then yeah, I would concede that changes everything. But I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Unless I can touch his fingers or his hands, put my fingers in the, where the nails were, put my hand where the spear went into his side. If I could touch him and hear him and see him with my natural eye, watch him eat a piece of fish, see him appear in the room, then I would believe. Maybe. But look what Jesus says to Thomas when he does show up. 26, verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them this time. Doors are locked again, and here he comes. He's just there. Jesus stood among them. And here's, he said it again. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe all oh, the compassion of Jesus. The love of Jesus for Thomas, doubting Thomas right now. There's probably doubting people in this room that Jesus dearly loves this morning. Put your hand here, Thomas. Touch. See, I'm not a ghost. It's real. I'm not a mirage. Really rose. And what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. Oh, if we could have that experience. We could touch him. If we could hear him. If, if our, our cornea could take in light and see his physical being and a signal be sent from our optic nerve to our brain and our brain interpret that and we go, oh. you know, when you stop and think about how it is that we see, it's really kind of, you think you understand the science of it? I'm not sure I want to put too much stock in that. Right? You close your eyes, don't you? And you see things all the time. Thomas got to see with his natural eye. And look what Jesus says, verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Oh, I love this verse. Blessed are those who have not seen with their natural eye and yet have believed. For so many of you in this room, you know exactly what that means. You might think of 1 Peter, when Peter writes and says, though you haven't seen him, you love him with joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. You know what that is, people? You're seeing without seeing. You're hearing without hearing. And you're believing at a level that your eyes and ears alone will never get you to. Why? Because there's a third option 
to modern thinking or postmodern thinking, to see, to hear, and to believe. And you know what that is? It's a miracle. It's a God-wrought miracle that we call the gift, the gift, the gift of faith. That suddenly, without your eyes, without your ears, you go, I see and I believe. I hear his voice and something comes alive on the inside of me. That's a miracle. And that's why we say we don't just rejoice in what we believe. We rejoice in the fact that we believe. It's a miracle. And if that miracle happens for you by a work of God, His grace, and the power of the Spirit, you see, and you hear, and you believe. If not, this all sounds like foolishness to you. And let me say to those who maybe just be beginning to believe, this was written so that you might believe and that in believing, you might have life in his name. For those of you that believe and have life in his name, let me say to you, don't ever Diminish the joy in your salvation by failing to realize that your seeing and your hearing, your believing is owing to a miracle, a miracle of God that gets us beyond what these puny little things can do on their own. We're going to end this Easter season by declaring together that we see, that we hear, and that we believe. And our believing is for his glory and for our joy. He is risen. Father, I've done what the Lord Jesus has instructed me to do. I've proclaimed the good news. And it's so daunting to accept that responsibility this morning, knowing that natural eyes and ears are not going to get it done on their own. It must be a work of your spirit. It must be a miracle. And I pray that today you would move us beyond the superficial, shallow, weak basis of what we can determine and reason and feel on our own. Move us deeper, I pray. Let us be refreshed in the blessing, the blessing of believing without having seen you the way Thomas did. Refresh us in that, I pray. It's in your name. Amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. 
Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.